0: Sewer Ninjas is dedicated to solving your home sewer issues with the latest no-dig sewer repair technology to minimize cost and disruption. They can repair your sewer lateral line with minimal intrusion, saving you thousands. When you need help, Turn to the drain and sewer experts for Milwaukee and the surrounding communities. Give Sewer Ninjas a call, 414-250-8605. Once again, that's 414-250-8605. Find out more at SewerNinjas.com. Coming up on this edition of the 414 Sports Podcast presented by Sewer Ninjas, another NBA coach falls by the wayside. We'll get into that as well as the conference finals, which begin this week. Let's talk spring football, the XFL, USFL, and what maybe could happen to solidify its place in the sporting world. And the Brewers coming off a three game sweep shard themselves against the worst team in the NL Central and a little college to throw in to close things out. All that and more coming up on this edition of the 414 Sports Podcast presented by Sewer Ninjas. Let's go. But instead, it's the 414 Sports Podcast, and it starts right now. Welcome in. This is the 414 Sports Podcast presented by Sewer Ninjas. I'm Don Wachillis. Thank you so much for logging in and joining us, whether you've done so on Spotify, Google, Apple, or any of the other five platforms that we currently reside on. As I noted in the intro, we'll get into some spring football as it relates to the USFL and the XFL and some suggestions maybe to help solidify its future moving forward the Brewers man it was ugly on Monday night against the St. Louis Cardinals and we'll get into a little bit of how they'll progress throughout this particular week but I want to start with the NBA as once again we've seen another coach fall by the wayside and that being Doc Rivers with the Philadelphia 76ers now Doc Rivers a very well-respected coach. I'm going to say this right off the bat because we're going to get into the John Morant thing uh, in a few minutes. Doc Rivers to Memphis, do it now. I, I Listen, Doc Rivers can maintain uh, a level of excellence, has shown he can maintain a level of excellence with the teams that he has coached. He is an NBA championship coach, yes, He has issues closing out Game 7s, and yes, he has not gotten out of the second round of the playoffs since 2012, but when you look at what's taking place with the Memphis Grizzlies and what a sideshow it's become that I think if you plug Doc Rivers in with the Memphis Grizzlies, suddenly some of that sideshow, some of the antics that are taking place both on and off the court subside. And Doc Rivers can take what is arguably one of the most talented point guards in John Morant and advance his career to another level. Again, we'll get into the John Morant thing in just a moment. But the fact that Doc Rivers has been let go by the Philadelphia 76ers, to me, it's all about where the right fit is. And and that's the understatement of the year. That's not a hot take. That's just an understatement because a coach and a team and the culture – They all have to come together. Memphis is in need of leadership. I think they have a very good coach. I don't know if I would say the same with regards to leadership. And I think that's what Memphis needs. You need somebody who knows the X's and O's and someone who knows how to lead, and especially in this day and age with the young talent that gets pooled together in hopes of trying to make whatever kind of playoff championship run. Doc Rivers to Memphis, to me, makes all the sense in the world. But the fact that Doc Rivers has been relieved of his duties with Philadelphia all goes to the collapse that took place within this past week in Game 6 and 7 with the 76ers. So let's start with Game 6. This is a team in the 76ers that dominated that game for three quarters absolutely dominated that game. They were minutes away from advancing to the conference finals. And then it all simply fell apart. Jason Tatum gets red hot and he maintained uh his level of uh of scoring into game seven. But here's Jason Tatum fourth quarter just shooting terrible through three quarters and then found his rhythm and and suddenly Philadelphia didn't know how to react. And we have, in the midst of the Philadelphia 76ers, the reigning MVP in Joel Embiid. And Embiid and James Harden looked like when things got rough, just like they did in the third quarter in Game 7 of that matchup with Boston, they go away. I don't know how... Joel Embiid can be the league's MVP when he goes away the way he does. In today's modern, um, uh, what would we say, this viral world that we live in, he ghosts his own self. He just disappears. And he did so again in two key games that ended up costing his coach his job. Joel Embiid and James Harden. Even in the telecast, in that Game 6 game, if you go back and you listen towards about the 3-minute, 4-minute mark when Tatum started getting hot, their heads dip, their energy level dips. And even Doris Burke, who was doing the commentary for ESPN that evening, said that she was wondering if they quit. Like, they just looked like they gave up. This is a team, unfortunately, with Joel Embiid, and James Harden, when they get punched in the mouth, which happens in the playoffs, they don't know how to handle it. They don't know how to counterpunch. And maybe that falls on Doc Rivers, but maybe it falls on the players themselves. Joel Embiid and James Harden scored a combined 24 points on 8 of 29 shooting when it got to Game 7 in Boston. Let me say that again. 8 of 29 shooting combined by the league's MVP and James Harden for a rousting 27%. That's not going to get it done. And then Joel Embiid has nerve enough in his post-game conference to say, listen, it can't be two against five. It can't be me and James who do everything. You didn't do anything. So to sit there after the game which is disappointing beyond belief for the 76ers and their fan base. But to have the league MVP sit there and say it's just me and Harden are the only two essentially out here trying to win a game and you're coming off a performance where combined the two of you only shot 27%. That takes nerve. That takes some nerve. So the fact that Doc Rivers has been released of his duties, maybe he's thankful. I don't know. Maybe he is. Maybe he do- he knows now he doesn't have to deal with the mess that is or the soap opera that is this particular makeup of the Philadelphia 76ers. Now, that counteracts, right, what I started with, the fact that I would love to see Doc Rivers in Memphis because that soap opera is beyond belief. But maybe, maybe he's maybe he will be better off trying to build as opposed to trying to take a team with the talent level that the 76ers had and push them to the next level. Maybe that's where Doc's success lies in the NBA. Taking a team like the Memphis Grizzlies and through his leadership, building a team that can get to the playoffs. And maybe then it's somebody else who has to take him the next step. I don't know. But I do know that Doc Rivers will build culture within the Memphis Grizzlies should he end up there. And that's exactly what Memphis lead, needs. Excuse me. So you've got now Boston and Miami. And I can't believe I'm going to say this, but I'm all for Miami. Give me the team that ousted the Milwaukee Bucks to go to the NBA Finals. I cannot stand to watch Boston and Philadelphia too. Philadelphia is right there with them in in that particular uh, playoff series. I cannot stand to watch the flops anymore. And I know these are big individuals crashing into one another, but every once in a while, like I saw Joel Embiid, I think it was game three, gets a hand on his hip outside of the arc, crosses his feet and falls, and gets the hand check violation. There, There was... You you put your hand on Joel Embiid at seven foot, two hundred, whatever odd pounds, there is no reason for him to fall over other than the fact he was being klutzy because he got his feet tangled up. I'm done with the flopping, and that's exactly what we're gonna see, I think, out of Boston in this conference championship. So give me Miami. Just gimme, gimme Jimmy Buckets all day long right now. As much as it hurts to say that, knowing that they ousted the Milwaukee Bucks. But gimme Miami over, over the Boston Celtics because I, I just don't see how the Boston Celtics would either beat Denver or the L.A. Lakers moving into whatever the finals will be once we get to that point. And obviously on the Western side, you've got Denver and L.A. And, boy, think about if the Bucks had made this coaching change last year. And Darvin Ham would have slid one seat over, and potentially have been the next hit coach in the Milwaukee Bucks. Look at what Darvin Ham is doing in L.A. and think about what that could have meant for our own Bucks. Coaching during the regular season, it matters, but not really. You know, we're we're trying to get through. The length of the NBA season, which is obviously too long as we continue to talk about load management and everything else, but once you get into postseason, it's the game plan that you put out there, and when you get to halftime, how that game plan needs to be altered because you know your opponent is going to alter theirs before getting out on the court for the third and fourth quarter and that's where i think doc rivers has had some issues heck it's where coach bud has had some issues over the years when we talk about getting the bucks into the playoffs now coaching matters eric spolstra is the next phil jackson that that'll be my hot take of the day eric spolstra is the next phil jackson that's a gentleman who knows not only the x and os all of these coaches know their x's and os But he knows how to push the right buttons at the right time to get his team to perform. And he also knows what things need to be altered during halftime, what corrections need to be made on the fly when you get into the second half to show your team that you know what's going on and lead them towards success. Phil Jackson was notorious for not only obviously knowing his X's and O's, but knowing how to push the right buttons to get the Jordans and the Pippins and Kobe Bryant and Shaq and to get all those guys performing at a high level. That's exactly what Eric Spolstra does with, I don't know, a fourth, a third, 50% of the talent some of these other ball clubs have. Uh, he He's just he's just shown the importance of coaching when you get to the playoffs. Again, one could argue during the regular season, eh, coaching come see, come sigh because the season is so long. Make sure you're in the top eight or make sure you're eligible for that play-in game now because Miami has shown as long as you're in the play-in game, you can run the table with some momentum. But just make sure you get to that point. And then from there, then the coaching takes over. Then it's not necessarily on the player. It's on the coach to lead that team in order to move forward. So now we've got the Bucks, the Pistons, the Raptors, the Phoenix Suns, and the Philadelphia 76ers all looking for coaches. And so, again, there's always going to be certain names that get bantered about. Here in Milwaukee, we've heard over the weekend that Mark Jackson, the former Warriors head coach and ABC color commentator, had garnered an interview with the organization. We know that Nick Nurse has had his name thrown about quite frequently, especially on the Twitterverse. Monty Williams, the 2022 Coach of the Year. The 2022 Coach of the Year is available. So you've got quality candidates out there. And you've got openings that I think are viable. The Bucks is a viable option. Phoenix is a viable option. Philadelphia is a viable option. And in the midst of the names I mentioned, don't forget Tyrone Lou. Lou, the coach of the Clippers, many are reporting that he's kind of had it with the soap opera that exists there, that he might be available. So it's it's going to be interesting to see who makes the first move. Because once one team makes a move and a eligible candidate comes off the market, that's when I think the other teams begin to put their interviewing in fast forward so to speak so we keep an eye on all of that as we make our way into the conference championships this week now the other nba story that took place over the weekend is that a video popped up uh, i think it was an instagram video with Ja morant garnishing a handgun we know that Ja was suspended during the year because of being in possession of a firearm in a strip club and now he's riding around with his guys doing the same thing essentially that being in possession of a firearm this this has got so many different levels to it it's unbelievable yes John Morant has to take responsibility for his actions but yet we're talking about a young kid and I'll say young kid with no offense hopefully taken by anyone, just because I'm so much older than John Moran. I consider him to be a kid at that age. And the development process that needs to take place, the growing up that needs to take place is significant. And I don't know who's stepping in to help. I don't know who is stepping in to help. Ja still wants to run with his guys. Understood. When you're young, that's what you do. But the amount of money that could be left on the table for not accelerating the maturation process, That that's a little tough to take. And so if, if Ja is going to take the next step, which I'm hoping he will, he's an unbelievable athlete. I mean, I didn't know who Ja Morant was, quite honestly, until the first round of the NCAA tournament when he lit up Marquette Golden Eagles. And it was like, who is this kid? He was spectacular, and he still remains spectacular in the games that he plays in. But there has to be a level of accountability, not only by him, but by the team, the NBA, and quite frankly, Nike. All of these organizations that throw a ton of money his way have a responsibility to help in the maturation process. We want to grab that talent and make the league what it is at a very young age when some of these young men, and if we're talking about the WNBA, young women, haven't necessarily had the experiences that are needed when this kind of financial success is thrown their way. I mean, my goodness, I think... I think back to my college days when you had a couple of bucks in your pocket and the damage you can do. I can't imagine if I had millions of dollars in my bank account, the damage that could have been done. So, yes, I am not pushing responsibility away from John Morant. I think he needs to take responsibility. I don't know if his last stint where he was, even though it was an eight-game suspension, it really only amounted to two when all was said and done. Maybe maybe in hindsight, it would have been beneficial if the NBA or the Grizzlies stepped in and said, time for you to sit down for the remainder of the year. Let's work through all of this, and then we'll kick things up again next season. You know, hindsight, 2020. But something needs to change, or you're going to have one of the most marketable, potentially marketable, and athletic stars in the NBA go awry And that costs not only his paycheck, but it could cost the NBA potential millions of dollars because of what John Moran can bring to the table. So we'll see what happens. And again, I've said it time and time again here in this first segment, it's one of the reasons why I think Doc Rivers to Memphis makes all the sense in the world. All right, let's get off the NBA. Let's move into some pro football. Ah, let's take a break. We'll get into the Packers' schedule a little bit, but I also want to talk about the USFL and the XFL as far as spring football goes and maybe what a merger could do for their financial stability moving forward. We'll get to that in just a moment. all right let's talk some pro football as we noted last week the nfl schedule was announced uh we touched on a little bit but let's run through the regular season it's strange this year this is probably the first year i can remember in a long time where after you run down the list i mean in the past you know you'd look at it and go ah Green Bay, fourteen and three, thirteen and four, twelve and five at the worst. This year I'm thinking eight and nine, seven and ten. Let's see what happens. But we open on September tenth at Chicago against the Bears. That's a three twenty-five game on Fox. Then we're on the road at Atlanta. You've got New Orleans at home. Then there's a Thursday night game with the Detroit Lions. That's a gold package game. So for those who have tickets here in the 414 as part of their season package. That will be a gold package game for Milwaukee fans against Detroit on Thursday night. Then they're at Las Vegas. You get a bye on the 15th. Then you're at Denver, home to Minnesota, home to the Rams, at Pittsburgh, home to the Chargers on November 19th. Another gold package game for the Milwaukee fans. Then it's at Detroit, Kansas City. At Lambeau on a Sunday night, that should be, hopefully, an entertaining game. Then you go to the Giants, Tampa at home, at Carolina, at Minnesota, and then it's home on either a Saturday or a Sunday, yet to be determined. That game is going to be flexed, seeing how each of the two combatants are standing as far as the schedule goes, and that will be the Bears at Lambeau Field to close out the regular season. Now, with Jordan Love at the helm, you start against Chicago, Atlanta, New Orleans, Detroit, and Las Vegas before you get a week off. So you've got five games to get a feel of how a Jordan Love run team will look. The Bears, okay. They're okay. I mean, I'm sure they made some upgrades, but if we base it on last year's defense, you should be all right. Same thing with Atlanta. Atlanta's made some upgrades, especially on the offensive side, but defensively, they're okay. They're nothing spectacular. New Orleans, the best thing about having to play the Saints is you get them at home. I think it'd be a different game if you had to go to the Dome to play, but the fact that you have them at home is going to give you a slight edge. Detroit, I'm curious to see if Detroit takes that next step. You know, Detroit came on like gangbusters last year. We know Detroit beat the Packers in the last game of the regular season to kind of, not kind of, they eliminated Green Bay from their potential playoff run. It's going to be interesting to see whether they can take the next step. There's been some stuff going on in and around the Detroit Lions, a little bit of noise off the field with the whole gambling thing. I'm wondering how that plays out. And then there's a Monday night game in Las Vegas. So Las Vegas, Get the uh, get the coolers ready. Get it filled with beer. Make sure your brandy stock is full, because the Wisconsinites are going to be heading to Vegas to see their team take on the Las Vegas Raiders. So again, I mean, you look at the schedule now. As I said a moment ago, there were years past when you looked at it and went, "Man, this is going to be awesome. We're going to be fourteen and three. We could be thirteen and four, 12 and five at the worst." You throw in a game or two where you're like, yeah, they should win, but you get those hiccups. And now I look at it and go, eh, 8-9. Man, if we can get right around five that that'll be a successful start for the new quarterback uh, in his first year with the Green Bay Packers. So we'll see how things uh, play out and uh, how it moves forward under his helm. But what I wanted to talk about here before we get to another quick break and hear from our friends at Sewer Ninja's, is the fact that we've got now pro football in the spring. Both the XFL and the USFL are up and running, and the XFL just had its championship. The Arlington Renegades come away with the championship. Arlington finished the regular season below 500 at 4-6 and six, and then went on this improbable run in the playoffs, and they end up beating the D.C. Defenders 35-26, under Luis Perez's helm at quarterback, and he gets the championship MVP, and they win the XFL title. Now the USFL is up and running now. So here's two things to think about with spring football moving forward. When I've watched the XFL and the USFL, there are some changes, there are some alterations that they've made to the game that I think the NFL should seriously look at. Now the NFL won't seriously look at it until somehow there's some sort of affiliation that takes place. Because the NFL does not want to give the idea that they're, A, cowtailing to a lesser pro organization, or, B, that they're just simply stealing something from them, so to speak. So if we're going to look at some of the changes that are made, especially on the kickoff, especially with the XFL – the fact that you know you're still kicking it off from you know the opposite 40 but both teams are lined up 10 yards apart and they can't go until whoever it is catches the ball in the back and then you can engage and i think it's a great way to help eliminate some of the injuries some of those collisions that you see with that special teams type play and it still makes it exciting there weren't a ton of breakaways where somebody went 98 99 yards for a touchdown, they did happen, just like they do happen in the NFL in what we would call a traditional kickoff. There have been alterations, again, that I think are worth looking at. But what if the XFL and the USFL merged? What if we considered the XFL and the USFL much like in the NFL we consider the NFC and the AFC? What if we created two divisions, one with the USFL teams, one with the XFL teams and then the winners of each of those what I will call conferences play for a championship to be named later. Maybe that's what should go on the trophy, right? A championship to be named later. But I think, A, you've got two organizations right now that are struggling a bit to try and garner some fan base. Um, I heard Colin Cowherd a couple of weeks ago talk about this and I think in this case he's absolutely right as much as I disagree with him on some things. The fact that gambling has overtaken so many avenues of society, spring football is not going anywhere because it gives people something to bet on, something to gamble on. But if those two organizations could merge, create two separate conferences, and then those conferences, just like in the NFL, play one another for the championship to be named later, I just think it strengthens both organizations. They could elongate their seasons a little bit. And I think it makes the most sense financially as those teams try and move forward. I think it's worth a thought. Whether it happens or not, I have no idea. But it would would definitely be entertaining because some of the rule changes that both the XFL and the USFL have undertaken are very similar within their own leagues. They're quite different from the NFL, but they're very similar within their own leagues. So There wouldn't be a drastic change, so to speak, with how they're portrayed and moving forward. And both leagues now have major backing from um, media as far as Fox and CBS and NBC and ESPN. So that's already in play. To me, it just makes sense to combine the two, see what happens, and see if those two entities can move forward and create an even stronger market for themselves. And for the fan base, you get a higher quality than of football. All right, let's move into the world of baseball as the Brewers. My goodness, it was an ugly loss last night coming off of a three-game win. We know it's a long season, plenty of baseball still to be played let's touch on that brewer team here in just sewer ninjas is dedicated to solving your home sewer issues with the latest no dig sewer repair technology to minimize cost and disruption they can repair your sewer lateral line with minimal intrusion saving you thousands when you need help Turn to the drain and sewer experts for Milwaukee and the surrounding communities. Give Sewer Ninjas a call. 414-250-8605. Once again, that's 414-250-8605. Find out more at SewerNinjas.com. All right, let's talk about the Milwaukee Brewers who, man, I I don't know if there's verbiage to be had to explain what took place on Monday night as they lost to the St. Louis Cardinals, 18 to 1. And I was joyful, almost giddy, in the fact that the Cardinals have been underperforming what many thought they would do this season, uh, at least to what is now, we're about what, 25% of the way through uh, Major League Baseball's schedule for this 2023 season. And the fact that they were taking it on the chin, I found no greater joy. As a Brewer fan, knowing what the Cardinals have done to us in the past and coming off of the three-game sweep of the Kansas City Royals, I thought, okay, here we go. We got our momentum back. We got that proverbial mojo up and running. Let's get these guys. Let's get at least two or three in their house. And as I've said before, if we're going to make any run, any sort of run in the NL Central, now is the time to put some space between yourselves and the Cardinals because the Cardinals, again, always find a way to come back. They always find a way to make themselves relevant towards the end of the season. That didn't happen last night. Yes, you know, so the Brewers lose to the Cardinals 18-1. to Freddie Peralta, who's had a good start to the season, took the mound last night. He goes five and a third. He gives up six runs on six hits, five walks, four strikeouts. They pull Freddie, and they bring in Bryce Wilson. And in the drop of a dime... The Cardinals were able to get to Wilson rather quick, and before you know it, it was 8 nothing. And the Brewers got a run. They manufactured a run, but never did they look like they were anywhere close to being in that game last night. And 10 of the 18 runs come in the eighth inning where the wheels just absolutely fell off. So now the Brewers have to look, at least as we're putting this podcast together, tonight game two of their set against the St. Louis Cardinals and try to salvage the series. They still have the opportunity to salvage the series and get back to their winning ways. You're going to get games like you saw last night if you watched it where nothing works. They're, They're looked as if nothing was working last night for the Milwaukee Brewers. Those things are going to happen. But the quicker you can put it in the rearview mirror, the better off you're going to be. If there's any hangover from last night's game, that could be a bit detrimental moving forward. So we'll see what happens with the Brewers going into game two. And hopefully the next time we talk, we talk about a Milwaukee Brewer team that bounced back in a good way after taking what was nothing but a pounding by the St. Louis Cardinals on Monday night. All right, let's wrap things up here in a moment before we call it an episode this week. I want to talk about college football. We're starting to see some of the key matchups that will be on national television being released. I want to cover a couple of those before we call it a day and we're back right after this timeout. Money, 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 money. All right, let's start talking about college football as we get to see now some of the games being released for the upcoming season, some of the nationally televised games. For instance, week one, September 2nd, we're going to see Colorado at TCU. That's a noon game on the eastern seaboard, so 11 o'clock our time, and that'll be on Fox. And get ready for a lot of Colorado football, especially now with Deion Sanders at the helm. Then we get games like, excuse me, West Virginia at Penn State, LSU at Florida State. That is a game I think worth noting, uh, seeing how Brian Kelly has gotten – LSU kind of back on track. Florida State heading back in the right direction towards notoriety. So we'll see that game early on, see how that one plays out. In week two, we get Texas at Alabama. In week four, we're seeing Iowa at Penn State. Now, Iowa at Penn State, I think, is most interesting for Big Ten fans. I don't know if that's got the national pull that a Texas-Alabama would have or an LSU-Florida State game. But at least from the Big Ten perspective, Iowa at Penn State should be interesting. And remember now, we're going to see a lot of Big Ten games on CBS. And I think CBS does a great job when they had SEC football covering the SEC. I can't wait to see how they translate what was great coverage again of the SEC moving it over to the Big Ten. October 7th, that would be week 6. You get Texas, Oklahoma. The one I find fascinating happens in week 10, at least, as things are being uh, thrown out there right now. That's November 4th. Notre Dame at Clemson. That has the potential to be a good one. And then we go all the way towards the end of the year again. We're going to find Ohio State at Michigan. Again, a Big Ten matchup. That one's got a little bit more of a national bite than the Iowa-Penn State game, but again, it means a ton for us in the Big Ten, being Badger fans. Uh, nationally, again, that one's probably got a bigger grip than than the other one that was forementioned. Alright, that'll wrap it up for us on this edition of the 414 Sports Podcast. My thanks to Sewer Ninjas, as always, for being our presenting sponsor. Not only do they do excellent work, but they're a company that cares, and in today's world, any kind of company that you can be associated with that you know stands behind their work, I'm all in for that. So, again, thanks to Sewer Ninjas for doing what they do on our behalf. Thank you so much for logging in and joining us uh, each and every week. We do certainly appreciate it. I'm down with Chillis. Enjoy the weather because it's sure starting to feel like spring and summer has finally arrived here in the 414. Take care, everybody.